Lord is our salvation. Christian greetings to each and every one of you in the name of our soon coming Savior and Lord, our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, if you're here with us for the very first time, we want to welcome you into our fellowship, our family. It is a joy for us to see you here. We hope you enjoyed worshiping our Lord. For the rest of us, CBF, a joy to be together again with God's holy word to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our salvation. But let me begin with a story. I remember my father, my dad telling us this story, this incident that happened with him when he was a young boy. Now listen to this. When my dad was a young boy, one day he was sent out of his house to go to the marketplace to buy oil, to buy oil. Now it's not like the oil packets that we have today, oil in the bottle. Back in the days, it used to be oil in that big tin can. So my dad goes to the market and he buys this big tin can of oil and he's on his way back home carrying this big tin can of oil. Now, as he was approaching his house, he happened to come across a, a lake, a riverbed. There was a small patch of dry land in between and he was walking in the midst of this dry patch of land carrying this big tin can of oil. Well, unfortunately, he slipped and he fell. The tin can from his hand also fell to the ground. The cap was open and the oil spilled onto the ground. It was at that moment that my dad had a brilliant idea. What was he going to do? Well, he set the tin can straight and then he filled the remaining can with water. He filled the remaining can with water. And then he put the cap seal on, carried it all the way back home. Everything was fine until his elder sister asked him for the tin can oil. Everything was going well till she took the tin can from him. And when she switched on the flame, when she put on the kadai, when she poured in the oil to fry the papadam, you can imagine what happened next. You can imagine what would have happened next. Now you know why I'm naughty. It's actually not my fault. But you see, brothers and sisters, oil and water, when mixed together, it cannot be used. It can actually never be used. In today's sermon, we are going to see and learn how the people of Israel mixed their beliefs and the dangers that fell upon them because of their divided hearts and their divided loyalties. We are going to learn together about the sin of syncretism. We're going to look at the sin of syncretism. There was a period of time when Israel had no king. The Bible says everyone did as he saw fit. The book of Judges chapter 21 and then God raised up Samuel to lead the people. And when the people demanded a king, the Lord God tells Samuel, listen to them and give them a king. First Samuel chapter 8. And so began the period of kings. And this period is what we refer to as the united monarchy. This is the period that we refer to as the united monarchy. Saul was the first king of Israel. 
and after his death in 2 Samuel, David comes to the throne and later Solomon succeeds him. I apologize for this picture. That was the only picture that I got. But that gives us the idea of the united monarchy, not the united kingdom. The people of Israel were united. Now we use this term, the united monarchy, to talk about Saul, David, and Solomon. As this was the time, Israel was ruled as one nation under one person, under one king. Now, when we come to 1 Kings chapter 12, I hope you can turn your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. The United Kingdom is now divided into two. Now, listen to me carefully. The Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, as it's there on your PPT. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes the king of the Southern Kingdom. And the Southern Kingdom contains two kingdoms, that is Judah and Benjamin. The southern kingdom is now collectively known as the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And the capital city of Judah is Jerusalem. So southern kingdom, Rehoboam is the king. It has Judah and Benjamin, and it is known as the kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam, on the other hand, is the king of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom has the remaining 10 tribes and the northern kingdom is now known as israel and the capital city of israel is samaria i hope you have these facts in your mind southern kingdom is ruled by rehoboam which has judah and benjamin now it is known as judah and the northern kingdom has the 10 tribes which is now ruled by jeroboam and the capital city is samaria i hope you are in first kings chapter 12 I hope you're looking at this map because you see Jeroboam has a problem. Brothers and sisters, let me say like this. In fact, Jeroboam was an evil king. You see, worship was to be offered in Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. The Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. The temple, in fact, was in Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. Jeroboam did not want any of his people to leave him from the northern kingdom and go to the southern kingdom. He did not want anyone to leave and forget him. So what did Jeroboam do? He devised a devious plan. It all started with symbols. It all started with taking the place off. Well, instead of the Ark of the Covenant, well, instead of the presence of the temple, instead of God himself, Jeroboam replaced these things in his kingdom with two golden halves. Now, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 12 and verses 28, listen to the devious words of this evil king Jeroboam. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. That is how this all began. He instituted the golden calves. And then in verse 31, 1 Kings chapter 12, he appoints priests. Remember how the law states that the priest must come from the tribe of Levi, but these priests were not from the tribe of Levi, which was commanded by God. And he allowed these priests, not from the tribes of Levi, to serve at the high places. Well, if that wasn't enough, 
verses 32 to 33, Jeroboam is now instituting festivals just like the one that they used to do when they were one nation, when they were one kingdom, just like how they used to do when they were together. And you know what, brothers and sisters, the people began to feel comfortable. That's what happens. When you have the things taking place just as it was done before, you all begin to feel comfortable. Not only that, the people found favor with this perverted system of worship. Jeroboam's idolatrous system was not designed or decreed by God. This is called syncretism. Listen to me carefully. This is called syncretism. Now, uh, don't get alarmed. Syncretism is only a fancy word. But it actually means the mixing of two religions or beliefs. It is the mixing of two religions or beliefs. Well, let me simplify it further for all of us. Syncretism is mixing the truth along with what is false. It is mixing God and the world. That cannot happen, brothers and sisters. Jeroboam was mixing the Mosaic law, the worship of Yahweh, along with the worship of Baal and the other gods. That is what syncretism means. It is the mixing of that which is not true along with that which is false. So my main point for the sermon this morning is this. We have God's undivided attention. Therefore, God desires our undivided hearts. We have God's undivided attention. And therefore, God desires our undivided hearts. The purpose of my sermon this morning is to answer the question, how can you and I protect ourselves against the sin of syncretism? How does it become possible for you and for me to protect ourselves from mixing the truth with the false, mixing God with the world? Because that is a deadly sin that you and I need to be careful of. I have three points or three reminders from God's word that is there in your notes. And these three points are as follows. Number one, how do we protect ourselves from the sin of syncretism? Number one, firstly, choose this day whom you will serve. That's what Joshua says in chapter 24. Choose this day whom we will serve. Calvary Bible Fellowship, choose this day whom we will serve. Now, syncretism begins with making the wrong choices. It all begins with the wrong choice that we make. When our choices are not right, when it is not holy, when it is not healthy, when it is not godly, it then leads to little compromises. It then leads to us saying it is okay. And these compromises then allows us to feel comfortable. And then when our conscience is weakened because of being comfortable, because of the compromises, because of the wrong choices, ultimately it always leads to chaos. It all leads to chaos. That's what happened to the kingdom of Israel. So it all starts with making a choice, brothers and sisters. And making the right choice is important. Making the right choice is very important. Cain and Abel had a choice to make. And when they brought their sacrifices, it reflected the choices that they made. Abel went out of his way to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 6 reminds us that Abel had faith in God. He made a choice to serve God. 
please God. And that is how by following God's instructions that is found in the word to do what God has told him to do. Whereas Cain was simply fulfilling a duty. He was simply fulfilling a chore, a responsibility. You see, there was no meaning in what Cain did when he brought his sacrifice. He was going with the motions. He was just checking the to-do list. Cain was not willing to exhibit his faith. And that clearly shows that he lacked a relationship with God. This is what Joshua reminded the people. This is how he warned the people in chapter 24. Brothers and sisters, God was not to be worshipped or taken lightly. God was not someone we say that we have a relationship with and then we check a box. We attend church. We go with the motions. We do what everyone else is doing. No, to follow God initially and then forsake him deliberately is a grievous sin. I'll say that again. To follow God initially and then forsake God deliberately is a grievous sin. Such a sin would lead to chaos. Well, we can protect ourselves from the sin of syncretism by being sure that we have placed our faith in God. We can be sure that we have a relationship with God. It's not a namesake relationship. It's not a relationship that pops up on Sunday, but is not seen the rest of the weeks. It's not a relationship where we switch on our cameras and we say hi, and then we are awakened from the church. It is a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough to say that we have a relationship. We ought to be sure. We are sure that we have placed our faith in Jesus and that we have, a cho we have made a choice. And our choice is to serve God alone. But who is this God that desires to be served? Who is this God that desires to be followed? What is the desire that God has for his children? Well, the desire that God has for his children is seen in so many verses, in so many passages in the scripture. In Exodus chapter 20, 3 and 4, it says, God's desire says that we will have no other gods before him, that we will make no other idol, we will not bow down or worship any other god. This is his desire, that we would love this God alone. We would have no other God but him. Not make any other graven image, bow down or worship him. Not only that, God's desire is also seen in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 5. God's desire is this, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. This is who God is. This is who God is. His desire is that we, his children, would believe that there is only one God, pursue and run him with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. The lessons that we learn from the book of the Kings is that until the end of Israel's history, God never wavered from his covenant promise, as we see in the book of Deuteronomy. Ultimately, unfortunately, Israel had met her doom. Israel had come to an end, but her doom was not the result of God's lack of love or his patience. Let me say that. When Israel met her doom, it was not because God was impatient or that God lacked in love for the people of Israel. God emphasizes, in fact, his desire to reestablish his relationship with his rebellious people. 
God was always patient, loving with his rebellious people. In mercy and love, he waits for disobedient people to repent and then return back to him. Brothers and sisters, this morning I want to encourage all of us that what was true of Israel is true of us even today. Now maybe some of us have given our hearts not only to God but also to other idols. Maybe some of us have been fooling ourselves into thinking that we have a relationship with God, but we're not sure. Maybe some of us are lost. Even if we are part of a church, we cannot seem to enjoy or pursue a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe some of us are not saved, but we think we are actually saved. I want to remind all of us, our unchanging God wants us to turn back to him. And the reminder of God's undying love, God's faithful love to us, it comes beyond the book of the Kings. It is beautifully pictured in the book of the prophets. And that is the topic we will be covering in church very soon. So Calvary Bible Fellowship, do our choices honor God? Have we begun to make little compromises? Does sin make us comfortable today? Have we thus far weakened our conscience? And is there anyone in church today who has not yet realized that you might be on the path to chaos? We protect ourselves from the sin of syncretism by choosing this day whom we will serve. By being sure of the fact that we have a relationship with God, that a relationship with God is a daily pursuit of my life. Well, number two, secondly, we can protect ourselves from the sin of syncretism. Well, by making this choice, if the Lord is God, follow him. Well, it begins with a choice. And if we've made a choice to, uh, to, to serve God, then we ought to now follow him. To choose God means to now follow him. To choose God does not mean I've done my part and that is enough. I'm going to heaven and that is enough. No, now we ought to follow him. Elijah reminds the people of this truth in 1 Kings chapter 18. But before we go to this portion, there are two important verses that I want to read. And you have your Bibles with me. Uh, turn with me to Joshua chapter 21, verses 44 to 45. Joshua chapter 21, verses 44 to 45. And look at what it says. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Every one promise of God came to pass. One more verse that I want to read is 1 Kings chapter 8 and verses 56. The same thing is mentioned. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to all his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. Now these two verses provide the important theological lens through which we are now invited to read through the book of the Kings. The Lord was faithful to give his people rest. The Lord was not only faithful to give his people rest, but also to keep all of his covenant promises. So on the one hand, we see a covenant-keeping God. But on the other hand, we see a covenant-breaking people. A covenant-keeping God 
and a covenant keeping people now how god keeps his covenant listen to me carefully and how israel breaks the covenant especially amongst the people or the kings of israel is the most important theme in the book of the kings how god keeps his covenant and how israel breaks his covenant or how all of these kings break the covenant is the theme of the book of the kings You see, after First Kings chapter twelve, we see that the northern kingdom, which was initially ruled by Jeroboam, had about twenty kings, and the southern kingdom, which was initially ruled by Rehoboam, had about nineteen kings. Well, some of these kings worshipped God. Most of these kings worshipped Baal. Some of these kings served God faithfully. The worst of them built altar to foreign gods. There were good kings that were partially bad, and there were partially good bad kings that did partial good things as well. The stories of these kings is what covers the book of the kings, part one and part two. And now it is in this background that God raises up Elijah, the prophet. I'm sure he was so cute, like our Elijah. It was this prophet. Elijah that was raised up by God it was Elijah who was being prepared by the Lord to demonstrate to Israel to demonstrate to the prophets of Baal that Yahweh it is not Baal Yahweh is still the one true God now this is made very famous in the infamous battle of the gods in 1 Kings chapter 18 well even Elijah's name warns the people against it Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. It confuses the beautiful truth. Elijah warns the people. Now listen to this. He says, "It is not good to walk the fence. It is not good to worship two gods." If you look at First Kings chapter eighteen, Elijah tells the people. How long will you be between two opinions? How long will you sit on the fence? If Yahweh is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. And the same message is ringing out to Calvary Bible Fellowship, brothers and sisters. This is not about turning to one God because we think the other God has failed. Well, Yahweh God does not seem to uphold His promises. So now I will turn to the God of money. I will turn to Job. I will run behind my Job so that this God of money will give me the satisfaction and contentment that I require. No, that's not what this actually means. It's not turning to one God because the other God failed. It is not so that one God did not give us the desires of our heart, so we turn to another God. The other God did not answer our prayers. Life isn't pleasant anymore. Work isn't favorable. Marriage isn't happy. Children aren't obedient. That's not why we leave our God and we follow another God. Elijah was saying that if Yahweh is the one true God and the other God is false, they should follow the one true God and forget, like as if the other imposter does not even exist. Brothers and sisters, syncretism is sin. It is a grievous sin, but it is not syncretism that makes us sinners. In fact, you and I were born as sinners. It is by birth that the Word of God declares us to be born in sin. We were born as sinners. We were born, in fact, as covenant breakers. 
we who were born in sin have become covenant breakers. We cannot keep the covenant any longer. We cannot uphold the law. We no longer desire to follow God. That is why there's this tussle, there's this battle between God and the idol. That is why we have compromised our relationship with God. And we run after money, we run after prosperity, we run after contentment, we run after bigger homes, we run after doing anything and everything to work out our marriage, to work out our single life, to work out work, even to work out ministry. We are all born as sinners. The Bible very clearly declares that. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 to 10. Look at what the word of God says. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. It says, we also know that the law, the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or their mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and prejudice and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. I confess these sins that are mentioned in this list are sins that I struggled with this week. There are sins on this list that I am too ashamed to even mention. And I want to give you an opportunity to ask your heart where you are right now. We are all born as sinners and there is no way how we can uphold the covenant. We are covenant breakers by birth. All of the kings were covenant breakers. But even though the kings were evil, even though the people were covenant breakers, God remains gracious and merciful towards them. God never forsook them because of his covenant promise with David. And you see, brothers and sisters, God's grace and mercy extends to us also today. The word of God reminds us that he does not treat us as our sins deserve because of another David. Because of another root and offspring from the tribe of Judah. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is hope for all sinners, for all covenant breakers. The hope is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my third point. If any of us is struggling with the sin of syncretism, and if you've realized that you've been living without God, that you are far away from God, that God is not there in your heart, please turn your eyes to Jesus this morning. And number three, I want to remind us from the portion that Jonathan read for us from Acts chapter 17. This should be our response. Seek him, reach out for him, and find him. Seek him, reach out for him, and find him. Look at Acts chapter 17. It gives us the beautiful picture of Athens. Now, Athens was a place where syncretism flourished. It was a place where syncretism flourished. At that time, it was considered the intellectual capital of the world. Architecture, arts, culture, and idolatry. Now, anyone would feel comfortable in such a place. Because the motto of the city was probably this, we meet your deepest need. Well, if you want pleasure, follow the Epicureans. Well, if you want purpose in life, follow the Stoics. Even if you don't know what you want, that's fine. 
There was even an idol to the unknown God. You can feel comfortable in this place. And it's not just atheists. The world makes us feel like that. The world is the place that makes us feel comfortable. Your needs, we will meet. We will make you feel comfortable. It was this background. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 18. Paul begins to preach the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. No better topic to preach in the midst of the sin of syncretism. Jesus and the, uh, and, the, and the resurrection. Let's look at the heart of the gospel message that Apostle Paul preaches. In this passage in Acts 17 that Jonathan read, we read about God, we read about man, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ. How does Paul talk about God, man, and the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at verses 20, uh, 24 to 27. Look at how Apostle Paul introduces God. He introduces God as the creator. It was God who made the whole world and everything in it. Because God made the world, he is Yahweh of all that we see in this world. There is only one God. God is not only the creator, but he is self-sufficient because he does not need to live in temples. He does not need to be built by human hands. God is not only the creator, he's not only sufficient, but he is the provider of all human life. He gives himself, he gives his life to all, he gives breath to each and every one of us. And the reason why God does all this, the reason why he wants to reveal himself, the purpose behind it is so that men would seek him, men would reach out for him, and when they seek him and reach out for him with all their heart, God would allow them to be found in him. That is who God is. But who is man? But who is man in this passage? Well, Apostle Paul talks about how man is now living in ignorance. We find that in verses 30. Man is living in ignorance. Verses 30 says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Man is living in ignorance. It does not mean that man does not know that he is doing sin. That's not what it means. But it knows that at that point in time, Man did not want to seek God. Man was living a life without God. But what does it mean when it says that God overlooked such ignorance? Well, it means that God allowed man to walk in sin. It, uh, God allowed people to walk in wickedness without him. It means that God did not bring immediate judgment on people when they rejected God. The same thing is seen in Acts chapter 14 and verses 16. In Acts chapter 14 and verses 16, it says, In the past, he let all the nations go their way, as it will be seen in your slide. In the past, he let all the nations go their way. Just like how the people of Israel walked before they had kings. Well, if this is who God is, and if this is who man is, we need to understand that the times of ignorance is over. Jesus Christ is now the only way for salvation. Jesus is the only way for salvation. The gospel is the only way how we fight syncretism. The gospel is our opening door to having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how Jesus is explained here. It is saying that Jesus, verse 31, is the man appointed by God. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
In the Gospel of John in chapter 5 and verses 22, the Gospel reminds us that it is not the Father who now judges anyone, but all judgment has been entrusted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is this Lord Jesus? He is the one who came into this world to die for our sins, take our sins on the cross, so that now you and I can have an eternal relationship with the Father through His Son. All of this is made possible, brothers and sisters, friends and family, because Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead. Verse 31 says, he has given proof of all this by raising himself from the dead, by raising him from the dead. Jesus was the first person to rise over the dead. So what should we do? How do we respond to this? Well, if, we, if we've been living without God, if we've been sitting on the fence for such a long time, if it is God and Baal, if we've been making wrong choices, we've been following false gods, what do we do? Verses 30 gives us the answer. It says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Every people everywhere to repent. Calvary Bible Fellowship this is my message for you this morning. If there is any of us who is struggling with the sin of syncretism, if we fooled ourselves into thinking that we've been following one God, but there are so many other gods, repent, come to the cross, accept Jesus, open your hearts to the gospel. If there is any of us who have a relationship and yet have been sitting on the fence and yet have been fooling ourselves and yet have been pursuing other gods, even we ought to repent Come to the cross and ask the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel. Anyone who confesses that you were once rebels against the God who made us, anyone who acknowledges that our sentence, which was death, was paid by Jesus on the cross, and anyone here who desires to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. That's what the Bible says. The Bible very clearly states to those who call upon the Lord, to them he has given them the privilege to be called his children. But there is another truth that I want to share with each and every one of us, brothers and sisters, especially for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should understand this valuable truth. King Jesus' hand of mercy will not be extended forever. King Jesus' hand will not be extended in mercy forever. One day, even today could be that day. That day of mercy will be over and the day of judgment will come. For those amongst us who have been sitting on the fence, lukewarm, casual about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want all of us to take a moment and ask ourselves some important question. Look at, our look at the condition of our heart and let's all just ask ourselves, what is holding you back? What are some of the questions that you have in the light of the sermon this morning? Examine these questions, pursue them and find the answer. Are we living with God or are we living without God? We are either in Christ or we are of the world. Jesus, the one true king, 
wore a crown of thorns so that one day i would wear the crown of righteousness jesus the one true king wore the crown of thorns so that one day i would wear the crown of righteousness shall we pray jesus we thank you for speaking to us from the lives of the kings about you father god we thank you for your covenant promise with the people we thank you that you are a covenant keeping god and we confess that we are covenant breakers and even for us who have believed in the lord jesus christ we look at our lives and we confess that we have violated the covenant many a times but we thank you jesus for coming into this world and lord we pray that this message of the gospel would come through that if there are those in this church who have been sitting on the fence have not accepted you that the gospel would be so true for them and for all of us who have been fooling ourselves into thinking that we have a relationship with god we pray that we would continue to believe and live knowing that there is only one true god we thank you for the promise of your coming and and even if you are to come today what a joy it would be for us to see you face to face and to worship you but if you choose to tarry enable us to resurrender repent and enter into a relationship with the lord jesus christ thank you lord for this time bless the word we pray that you would bless the seed of the gospel planted in the heart of your hearers it is in your precious name we ask and we pray amen